The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well, we have been in uh, the Gospel of John, and the kids, you can go back. We've been in the Gospel of John, and um, this, we're looking at, we started last week in John chapter 3, uh, looking at verses 1 through 21, a story of Nicodemus, the accounting of him coming to Jesus at night. And last week we learned that he came to him, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you come from God because no one could do these miracles, these signs, unless God was with him. And so he's going to him at night. He wants his private conversation. I may mention he probably had a, a lot of questions for Jesus, but Jesus doesn't even give him an opportunity. As soon as he states this, this statement that I just talked, set, talked about, uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, look, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you can't see the kingdom of God, nor will you enter the kingdom of God. And I get, just get to thinking, so Nicodemus is, he's one of the religious leaders. He's a Pharisee. He's in the Sanhedrin. So there are 70. Out of all Israel, there are 70 men. And they were here concerning political and religious. They were the quote-unquote cream of the crop leaders in Israel. They knew uh, the law. They knew God's plan, his purposes, and this man comes to Jesus, and who is, by the way, to be reminded again, we say, hey, that's the son of God. Don't you get that? Nicodemus didn't see Jesus that way. He saw him as this peasant from Galilee, but he's acknowledging there's something about him, and when Jesus says that, can you imagine how that hit uh, Nicodemus? It'd be like me going to the Supreme Court justice and just going, look, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anything about all that. So Nicodemus, I'm sure he's taken back when Jesus tells him this. Hey, Nicodemus, you just need to understand that your natural birth, your heritage is not going to cut it. That is not what's going to get you. That's not enough. It's not enough being a Jew. It's not enough in your status among your people. It's not enough. And so, you know, Nicodemus, like so many of us, just kind of drop us back. And so all your life, this is what you've learned. And you are following what you've learned. And then you have someone come to you and say, that's, yeah, that's not, that's not it. So we, we get this when you were first confronted with the gospel. Maybe you were raised Catholic. Maybe you are raised in some other kind of faith, and all your life, this is what you knew. And then all of a sudden, they're going, yeah, no, uh-uh, that's not what all that's... You're, you're close, but not close enough. And this is, this is Nicodemus. He's following, as a Jew, he feels that he's doing what he should be doing to be right with God. And Jesus said, look, unless you are born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God, and you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, 
This is Jesus. This is the Son of God, the Messiah, saying this to this Jewish leader. He's just, he's just putting it right out there. Why would he do that? Was he condemning Nicodemus? No, he was going, no, Nicodemus, that's not, that's not it. See, all along in Jewish tradition, all along, God's intention was not just this surface relationship with man. It was all about a relationship, and it was all about man following God from the heart. I can tell you over all the years of my uh, pastoring and not even pastoring, there were a lot of people that came and they were doing all the things, but this was, what did, what did this was not there? Remember so often through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, there's this statement that is repeated. Uh, you're doing all those things, but your heart is far from me. God was never after, God's never wanting us just to do the things. It was always about relationship. Remember in the garden at the beginning, he talked to man face to face. And then sin separated. What, what, what has been God's intention all along is to restore relationship. What's the relationship he's trying to, destroy, to, to, to restore? That you, that, you, that you start, quote unquote, acknowledging him and start doing things? No, it's a relationship that he created man in his own image. For relationship, for intimacy. That's what God has intended from the fall to where we are now. And so, basically, Jesus is just saying, Nicodemus, that is, that's, you're missing it here. A right relationship is a relationship that comes from one's heart. What was, what is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your doing and giving and sacrificing? No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is where Nicodemus was missing it, and we had talked about this. He said to the Pharisees, his greatest contention, he says, you're missing it. You're doing everything on the outside, but this is wrong. This is not right. In here, it's not right. And so we know that Paul in Galatians chapter 3 uh, he revealed the original purpose or the original promise of God to man, which would be that the promise was for Abraham was a new life through faith. That the law was just something that was temporary. Uh, I think uh, in Galatians 3 it says was like a schoolmaster. Other translations say it was like a tutor. See, the promise was through Abraham was through faith. The law came through this period of time, this temporary period of time to tutor men till Christ came, which would be happening, and this is what's taking place here. Nicodemus, listen, unless you're born again, unless you're born of God through faith, you will not be able to see or enter God's promise. Now, in Luke chapter 17... Uh, Jesus is having a conversation, and the Pharisees ask him about the kingdom of God and when would the kingdom of God come. I mentioned last week just briefly about that, but I kind of want to push it a little bit further. Uh, and he said to them, well, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. You will not say, look, here it is or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. And so we know, again, we know from we're all way over here and looking back, we understand that it's a heavenly kingdom. We understand it's a spiritual kingdom. 
but they didn't know that. And so we understand his kingdom as one that cannot be seen, and we see it first in Jesus' coming in this way, his triumph over the enemy of God. Remember when uh, the Jews were pushing Jesus and they were blaming him that he was casting out demons by demonic power? What did Jesus respond with? He says, listen, if I cast out demons and it's by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. So here Jesus comes and the kingdom of God has come, the authority of the kingdom of God through Christ in this kingdom was, which we miss so often, you have this natural kingdom we see this earthly kingdom but there is a spiritual kingdom there is a spiritual rule there's a spiritual reign and when jesus came he began to initiate that on earth and he started by his defeat over darkness and then he continued it through revealing himself to humanity and humanity having faith in him and the shift that took place through what the kingdom of God brought to humanity. And now Jesus is telling Nicodemus, here's how the kingdom of God comes to rule and reign in man. It is by being born again through the power of the Spirit of God. And I got to thinking, if, if you could kind of compare the kingdom of God to the bud of a flower, then what they saw, it just began to open up. It just began to for them to see. For us, again, looking back, we see it so much more fully than they did. They were, it was real time it was coming to them. The hints of the kingdom of God, the signs that were coming, the prophecies that were spoken of that were being fulfilled, and Nicodemus was seeing all of those things, yet he was unable to grab a hold of it. Jesus is saying to him in this whole conversation, the kingdom of God is here and I am establishing God's kingdom here on earth in the hearts of man. So God was beginning his heavenly, spiritual, invisible to the natural eye kingdom on earth. And Nicodemus is not understanding that. Although he was a Jew and he did understand the kingdom of God in the sense that they had been taught that Messiah would come and the age that is to come, when Messiah would come, he would bring that age in. Now, they, they saw that, as we all know. They saw that when Jesus come and the Messiah would come, he would just establish God's kingdom. He would dominate his enemies, and God's messianic kingdom would come. The Jews would be in the place that God had promised. But we know that that didn't happen immediately because the greatest thing that needed to be overcome was the power of darkness and the sin, the real issue. So the real enemy needed to be defeated, and that was the devil. And so he understood it, but not quite in the way that uh, he needed to. So Jesus telling Nicodemus, look, this is the beginning of that kingdom. There is this idea for us, and we know that the kingdom of God is now, and then it's not yet. Jesus began to establish the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God in its fullness is not going to happen till much later. The fullness of it. That is where God rules and reigns over everything. And everything is subject to the rule of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus likens the coming of the kingdom and the saving work of God through his spirit, and he likened it like the wind. 
He says it's something that you won't see. He also likened it, I think, I think it's Matthew. I'm trying to remember where all those things, kingdom of God is like leaven, the kingdom of God like a pearl, the kingdom of God like, like a seed, the word is like a seed. And so it kind of goes through a lot of analogies, but the idea of leaven, you know, you put it in bread and you can't really see it, but it works throughout the whole thing. It starts small and it grows. And so salvation is this work of God. Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus, look, salvation is, is what God is doing. And God is doing this through the hearts of man. You can't see it uh, because it's a spiritual work that is taking place. And so Nicodemus, he's, you know, he's confused. And he goes, how can these things be? And I think that sometimes that's for us too, because sometimes we get so caught up in our natural, physical world, we forget, how do I say this? We forget the truth and the reality of who we are as followers of Christ. There is the natural, what you can see and smell and touch and taste and hear, but there is the spiritual, you can't just observe it with the eye. But yet we understand that God is, God is bringing salvation to humanity. Just, look, just think for your own life when you come to Christ. Think about people around you. Here they are living this life a particular way, and all of a sudden their life shifts because of an intervention, because God is working in the heart and life of man. Do you see it? When my friend was sharing Christ with me, if he could have seen what was going on in my life, he would have kept pressing me, but he, didn't, he couldn't see what was going on. Not till its effect took place in my life and I repented of my sins and I began to follow Jesus. Then he could see the effects of it. And so Nicodemus is just really, he's trying to grab a hold of all this. And in theory, the Pharisees, they believed in miracles, but it was... They were really having a hard time embracing it and acknowledging it because it wasn't coming the way they thought it should come. How often do we get, um, uh, uh, yeah, our own life, we know the, the promises of God to us. We know that God's going to work all things together for our good. We know the battle of light and darkness. We know that no matter what is taking place in our life, God's got a hold of our life. So we need to have this, I always say to my family, uh, you need to have an eternal perspective. Because if I were to leave here and get run over by a car and die, you would think, oh, how sad is that? But no, look in the eternal perspective. I now am in the presence of the Lord. I now am where I have been living to get. Not quite that way, but I've been living to get there. So we, sometimes we don't see eternal perspective, and sometimes we don't see God... The, the supernatural, but we should expect it that when I am in a place and it seems like just my life is being broadsided and everything is hitting me from every direction, I think, God, where are you? It's not where it shouldn't, our thought shouldn't be that God has left. Our thought should drive us to our knees and say, Father, what are you trying to do here in my life? Because I know that you work all things together for my good. Now, this is really tricky. Because when your life isn't going the way you want and you don't, everything, you, you don't feel good, you, everything's, you get caught in this natural dilemma, we have, we just think God abandoned us. We think that he's not there. 
But he will, what's it say? He will never leave us nor forsake us. So somewhere along the line, we need to... This is why it's important for us to read the Scripture. Because the Word of God is true. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable to teach us, to guide us, correct us, to move us into the direction of truth, and into the direction of living a particular way that honors God. And when we're in the Scriptures, and we maybe are in that bad place, and the bad thing is, is when we're in a bad place, the last thing we want to do is read the Word of God. The last thing we want to do is get on our knees and pray, but it's the first thing that we should do. Because then when we do, no matter what's going on in your life, God is going to, through His Word, just remind you of a truth. And sometimes it's not like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, this happened. Uh, yeah, you're... you're uh, your payment went up, and you lost your job, and you're not going to have money. We think that God's going to go, okay, Ann, what's going to happen is in two days, you're going to get a job. They're going to pay you twice as much, but, and, and this is where you need to go, and this is how it needs to happen. It, it don't come like that. He goes, you might read the scripture. It says, and God shall provide all your needs. Or you'll read Psalms 23 and says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, a reminder and God reminds us, and those reminders are for us to embrace those truths to begin to move in a direction of faith toward Him. And so, Nicodemus, you know, he's, there's a lot of stuff that Nicodemus should know that he's forgotten. And I think this whole encounter is Jesus reminded Nicodemus that this whole thing is a work of God. It's not this it's, it's, it's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about God's movement in your life. It's about God doing what God wants to do. And I love that. Um, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. You can just read it. How Paul said, look, I, I, here's what needs to happen. What needs to happen in your life is a supernatural event where you begin to see what God sees. Where you begin to embrace what God embraces where you begin to understand the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of what God has intended for your life. And so, for, for me, before I was a believer, that was like, what, are you kidding me? But at the same time, it was a thing that said, Tom made mention uh, a few weeks ago for when we were doing communion. He goes, uh, but what if? What if that's true? The possibility of that. See, it, it is true. And so what it should do is cause you to open up and receive the things that God is trying to pour in your life. So Nicodemus is going, you know, I don't even understand how these things are going to happen. And I don't think that his thing is really doubting him. It's really a desire to understand. And so Nicodemus is not seeing the heavenly side of things. And so Jesus said, look, you're a teacher and you don't, under the, you don't understand these things. You know, you, life as a Jew for you has always been about entrance into heavenly things, but you don't seem to get it. Paul said, remember, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, 4, in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, he says, you know, the natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. And we know that we can understand 
some things, but when it really comes to the realities of heaven, we need new eyes to see, a new heart to understand, and that comes through the new birth, being born again, born from above. And so, heavenly things, these heavenly things, they come through faith. Verse 311 says, Jesus then tells him again, this is the third time I think he says this, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So the third time he's telling Jesus, and remember last week I said it was when this truly, truly, or amen, or an amen come at the front of a sentence, at the beginning of this sentence, it is you really need to pay attention to what I'm saying. When it comes to the end, let that be so. But when it, it's at the front of the sentence, he's saying, you really need to pay attention because this is true. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, look, we know what we are saying. We bear witness and we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And the you is this plural, you and you that will not believe. You that just keep pushing back and won't accept. And we see earlier, I think it's in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, uh, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. What a sad commentary on them looking for all these hundreds of years for the Messiah to come, and now Messiah comes, and they, didn't, well, they wouldn't receive him. And he says, Nicodemus, look, here's some truths that you need to grab a hold of. And I'm telling you they're true. I've seen them firsthand. Now, if I've told you about these earthly things, these things right here that you're seeing right now, that, you're in, that it's going on right now in your life, if I've told you about them and you do not believe, well, then how am I ever going to tell you about things that you have no knowledge of? Heavenly things. He said in verse 3, verse 13, he said, I, I, so I'm telling you the truth. Here's, and I want, I want to give you more of these heaven realities, but you just can't seem to grab a hold of the earthly. Let me verify something for you that no one who has ascended into heaven, no one has, has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, that is the Son of Man. So he's telling Nicodemus, which I don't know quite how Nicodemus, it doesn't say how he responded to all of it, but basically Jesus says, I'm from heaven. I have come from heaven. I have descended on earth, and I am here, and I'm telling you what I know for a fact to be true. Now, we know that Jesus took upon the form of human flesh. He became a man, so Jesus is going, look, I know what it's like, and I'm telling you these things that are true. And again, Nicodemus is not going for any reason except to understand, and Jesus is not trying to confuse him. He's really trying to open it up to Nicodemus so that he can understand. And that's one of the things that we what can be helpful to us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand he wants us, when we read his word, when, when we're those moments and times in prayer, when we're seeking for guidance, he wants us to know. So those things that seem to be, you just can't wrap your head around, uh, don't get frustrated, just keep pursuing him. 
Just keep seeking him. Just keep asking him. What's a, it says, knock and it'll be open. Seek and you'll find, right? So we just keep approaching him and he will keep helping us. Don't quit. Sometimes we just give up way too early. So basically, Nicodemus, I know that it might be difficult for you, but I'm going to try to make it a little bit easier for you. I'm going to try to help you understand about the eternity, about heavenly realities. And so in my mind, then Jesus goes on really to say, look, I got firsthand knowledge of these heavenly things. And I want you to understand something that might help you. So he's perplexed. He doesn't understand born again. What does that mean, physical, spiritual, what it means to rely, what it means to a man who is relying on his Jewish heritage? What does all this mean? And Jesus says, all right, well, maybe this can help you understand. And in verse 14, he says to him, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So we know in Scripture there is this, there are foreshadowings. There are events that took place in history that God was at work in humanity doing things that pointed to something in the future. And so we could go through many of them. You could go through the fall and you could go through the flood you could go through the lives of men and women that god dealt with you could go through the just the big object lesson of israel and the wilderness and how god brought their deliverance out of egypt and crossing the red sea into the promised land and god's provision and protection over their life as a foreshadowing of what jesus would do for us and so here Nicodemus, he's a Jewish scholar, so he knows the law inside and out. He knows he, he can quote these verses frontward and backward. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying in the words that he's using. And so Jesus says to him, okay, let me, let me try to help you a little bit more understand. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man be, must be lifted up. So we know the accounting. Israel was in sin. Uh, God sent, because of the rebellion, God re sent these poisonous snakes and they would bite the Israelites and they, would, they were dying. And so they cried out unto the Lord. And what happened? He, God speaks to Moses and says, here's what I want you to do. I, make, I want you to make a serpent, a, brass, uh, a serpent out of brass. I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to stick it in the ground and tell all the Israelites if they look to that serpent, if you look to that image, if you would just look to that, you would be healed. And so he's connecting the Son of Man. He said, just like there was that earthly scenario with Moses and the serpent on the pole, there is this heavenly scenario where the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so this accounting again is because of their sin, God brought judgment and rescue. Through the very thing he brought judgment, he brought rescue. And, and the Jews, the rabbinical teaching, they didn't equate, they didn't equate the, the healing so much with the image, but the faith in looking toward what God has said to bring healing. So they really, in rabbinical teaching, it wasn't about the image, it was about looking to the promise of God. And so 
Nicodemus would have connected all that when he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up. It wasn't about that in particular, but it was the looking to God for rescue. And so as they were, he was saying is, as you did then, it's going to happen again. That's temporary. This is going to be eternal. That was, that, was the, that was a temporary covering of sin. This is going to be an eternal forgiveness of sin that is going to take place. So I love that, the, the earthly, and he's trying to really help Nicodemus see the difference between the earthly and the heavenly provisions. So the symbol was a reminder of where the true power lies and where the forgiveness came from. So now Jesus, he says, I'm going to be lifted up. You're separated because of your sin, but by looking to me, you will receive something that is better, which it will be permanent, which is forgiveness of sin and new life. And so, just like then, the symbol of death became a symbol of life. Now, in Christ, that symbol of death became a symbol of life. Now, when I was studying, I didn't, uh, until I, uh, it was a few weeks back, I'm walking through this, and I'm just musing over uh, the serpent, uh, Moses using the serpent, and I'm I'm musing, I'm studying, I'm thinking, Lord, what is, just help me to understand what is going on here. I always know that when we're reading through Scripture and when God is bringing something to light, like I told you last week, I had the Bible and I said, of all that God does, and all what we have is in this little book, with all that God has done, all we have is what's in this little book. But this little book highlights the main important things that we need to understand. And so I'm just asking, Lord, what am I missing? And this is what I discovered. So it's been 40 years in the wilderness. The generation that was rebellious and didn't believe God had died off. They're on this side of the Jordan River. And what God had promised him was on the other side of the Jordan River. This accounting took place was the last miracle. It was the last miracle that was performed before they crossed the Jordan and entered the promised land. The last miracle. Now, I don't know how your mind works, but mine works like this. So I'm going, that's interesting. It's the last miracle. It's like the last thing that God did before he made a way for them to receive what God had promised them. Wow, I'm going, oh. Now think about Jesus' last act. He dies on the cross, which makes a way for us to enter and obtain the promise God has promised us. I don't know about you, but that just, that is so very good. And so I'm thinking through all of this, and I just kind of finish up with this. You know, what, looking at the story of Nicodemus, I'm sure there are applications everywhere. Like Ann said, there's just a lot here. But Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus, I know you know all that stuff, but I need to tell you what's true. 
And it's really about forgiveness, which brings you into new life. And it's really not just about forgiveness that brings you into new life. It's about forgiveness, which needs to, leads to a new heart, which leads to a new life. And I think that, I don't know, for me, some, you know, there's just some truths that kind of lay dormant. There's some things that we just kind of know, but we occasionally what we need to do is bring them up. We need to brush them off, and we need to reacquaint ourselves with some realities. See, because for me, God has offered forgiveness. He's given me a new heart, which will lead me into a new life, what God has promised. I don't know about you, but... Sometimes this can get crusty. And so think about this. What did uh, this equation that they said, look, it's really about this new heart, and what was the prophecies that uh, were prophesied? He says, uh, I'm going to, it's about circumcision of the heart. Your heart has grown fat. It's calloused. And what I'm going to do in this future is I'm just going to cut all that away, and I'm going to make it new. And so we have this promise. We have this reality. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, we have this reality of this truth. We have forgiveness of sin. God has given us a new heart, and we have a new life. I love that, that fulfillment. That's what we have to look forward to. And I know that there are these things, that there is the now, and then the not yet. And God has revealed so much to us right now. We've experienced so much about the truth and the realities of the now, finding new life in Christ and Him benefiting our lives. How could we not but believe that the not yet that He's promised is going to come? Amen?